This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. We're very glad to have you here. It is great to see the cross-generational mix that we have. And I think that um, this speaks very well of men's ministry outreach. Um, Our whole desire in men's ministry is to just help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. And to that end, it's men like Pastor Steve Sonderman that can give us great insight. I've known Steve for a long time. He's a pastor at Elmbrook Church. Many of you know his face and his name from the No Regrets Conference, which he began 25 years ago. Uh, Has touched thousands and thousands of men with a day of great, solid biblical teaching, uh, great encouragement, And so it is a pleasure for me to introduce you and to welcome Steve Sonderman here today. Steve. Well, it really is a treat to be here today. Uh, As Steve said, we go way back. Uh, We have a mutual friend, Greg Rowe, and uh, Greg got us together and, and worked on some leadership training things together. I don't know, at least 20 years, maybe 25, 30 years that we've been, uh, we've been connected together. And, uh, and so I just appreciate Steve. I also just really appreciate this church. Um, I, I spoke here, I don't know, it was 25, 30 years ago, and it wasn't here, it was, well, no, it wasn't here, because you know, this was the original, right? And uh, the cool thing is, is that I, I, I know or knew one of your former pastors, Pastor Heckman. Uh, I work with Mark Heckman, one of his grandsons. Uh, Mark's our uh, operations director at Ellenbrook, and, uh, and so Mark and I are on the executive team. And so Mark and I have spent a great deal of time together. And uh, I did his, performed his wedding with Grandpa Heckman. And, uh, and so I got to work with Harley at that time. And uh, I've just known him over the years until he, he passed away. So just a little bit of connection here. And there's Fred. Where's Fred? I saw Fred here somewhere. Fred, where's there he is, right there, right there. I did uh, Fred's uh, wedding what, 30 years ago. Yeah, there we go. There's some history. And uh, that was, so I've, I've been at Elmbrook about 34 years, so it was one of the, the, the first ones, uh, early ones uh, that I did. And it's always good when you see one, someone that's still together. And, uh, and they're, they're, they're doing great, and uh, just always love to see him and his lovely wife. Um, I've been married, uh, it'll be 35 years this November. I'll just give you a quick who I am type thing. Uh, I grew up in Brookfield. I've been there my, pretty much my whole life. Uh, I went up to Bethel Seminary for three years. Uh, it was just very hard living in Minneapolis for three years, so I came right back and, um, and uh, been married to Colleen for, like I said, November will be 35 years. Um, we, didn't, we didn't start strong. To, to show her how much I loved her, I dated her older sister. And then, uh, yeah, that wasn't good. So then uh, when she dumped me, I just went down to the next one. And... Uh, <laughs> And so we've, uh, we've, we've made it. It's uh, 35 years. We've got uh, four kids. Um, they're all older. We're empty nesters. We love empty nesting. We recommend it highly. Um, we love our kids, but we're glad they're gone. And, um, and we, we, we're, they're really gone. We have one in Boston, one in New York, one in Nashville, and then one still in Milwaukee. 
Um, and uh, we have three grandkids. They're all down in Nashville with Angie. And, um, and so they're doing great. We have uh, my youngest son got married back on Memorial Day weekend. And he's the one that's still in the area. And then my oldest son's getting married on November 17th. Uh, getting married down in, in, in Nashville. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to that. Colleen's a physical terrorist, I mean therapist, and um, she, uh, she works at, she has a big weekend. Her Beat Cancer Boot Camp uh, retreat is this weekend. She deals all with cancer rehab uh, out in Waukesha, and that's her love and her ministry and just her passion. So uh, she's got a huge group of women up in Sheboygan for the weekend. Uh, all survivors of cancer are going through it right now. So that's really what her heart and, 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 and passion is. And, uh, and then for me, the other thing I really enjoy, besides being a pastor, is I'm the, the chaplain for the Brewers. And I just have an incredible opportunity to just minister to that group of men, uh, kind ministers to the wives. And uh, you just need to know that God's doing some incredible things. We've just seen every year uh, guys coming to Christ. Uh, we have the largest chapel we've ever had, over 20 guys coming now, players and coaches, uh, every Sunday morning. Uh, doing Bible study on Tuesday afternoon. And so just be praying that, that even in the excitement and the energy of all that's going on, God's also doing some stuff behind the scenes. And uh, God truly, truly is at work uh, all over Major League Baseball. And it's exciting to, to be a part of that as well. Well, this is a beautiful day. I love the fall. And I love it when guys get together. I can tell you there's nothing I'd rather be doing than being right here with you men. Because I believe after being involved in ministry to men now for over 27 years, that God does something very powerful when, when men get together. Uh, not only are we able to sing the songs in the right key, uh, which is really, really nice, and I appreciate that. We can also have some great food that none of us would get when we're home. And, uh, but we also get to talk about stuff just related to guys. And uh, I love to hear the conversations around your table and the energy that's, that's happening there. And uh, I just want to encourage that. If, never, if ne you've never been connected in a, in a small group, 33 is a great series. It's starting up here in just in a couple weeks. We've used that since it started years ago and had uh, hundreds of our guys go through the 33 series. Just I would encourage you to take that step, get connected for I think it's six weeks. It's very doable. It's, it's, there's great speakers, great discussion, great topics. So take, take that next step. And then I, I also want to just thank you for being a host site. Uh, I don't know how long it's been that you've been a host site for No Regrets, but I really appreciate it. Uh, God's on the move. And, and the, the thing I love about No Regrets is that it's, 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 it's in the churches. You know, the PK was wonderful. It was great. But it was in the stadiums. And it took guys away from their churches. And, and what we're trying to do is to provide an event for the local church that it can use to, 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 as a catalyst to, to minister to the men right in their pews, right in their community. So I am so grateful for your partnership and your willingness to, to, to host it and to, 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 to be a part of it. Well, I want to take you back to when my two girls were in grade school. And uh, they were at Swanson Elementary School, and it was in the, uh, the spring of the year. And they came home, and they both had a little uh, sign-up sheet. And across the top of it, it said, Brookfield Soccer Association. And they said, Dad, we want to play soccer. I said, you can't. They said, no, Dad, every, everyone in, in our school is playing soccer. They said, everyone in Brookfield is playing soccer. We really want to play soccer. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, girls, but you, you just, you can't. You can play baseball, basketball, and football. Those are the only American sports. And so it's that, 
or it's, it's nothing. And they said, but dad. And I said, listen, girls, this is going to be a very short discussion. Your mother and I, we signed the prenuptial agreement. None of our kids would ever play soccer. <laughs> so then they started, you know, crying and doing what they, they do best. And, um, and so in a, really in a point of weakness, I, I signed those forms. We sent them in. A few weeks later, I get a phone call from Kathy. Kathy was a high school friend of mine at Central, and she goes, Steve, I cannot believe what I'm looking at in front of me right now. Here you are, Mr. Baseball, Basketball, Football guy. You coached high school football for six years, and you're letting your girls play, play soccer? <laughs> and she goes, you know, I am now the president of the, the Brookfield Soccer Association. And I said, Kathy, it was a moment of weakness. Please do not tell any of my friends, but it's just the way it is. She goes, Steve, we have a real problem. She goes, we do not have enough coaches. And she goes, if, if you don't coach your girls, then your girls can't play. I said, well, I guess they can't play, and I hung up the phone. <laughs> so then my Colleen comes into the kitchen uh, just in a matter of minutes and said, uh, hey, what's the deal? She goes, I just got a call from Kathy. She said that you're not going to coach the girls. She goes, you mean you can coach the boys, you can coach football, you can coach everyone else, but you can't coach your own kids? I said, Colleen, I just I can't do it. I absolutely hate the sport. She goes, well, it's too bad because I already signed you up. <laughs> so now I got to go. I go to the Brookfield Library, and I took out every book, every video on coaching soccer for two reasons. Number one, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. If, I was, if it came on the TV, I turned the TV off. If I was driving down the road and I saw a soccer game, I took a right turn. I mean, I, I, I just avoided it at, at all costs. So I had to learn as much as I could. Second, I'm a very, very competitive person. So I figured if I had all the books and all the videos, no other soccer coach in Brookfield would have them. All right? And so those books and videos are still in my trunk to today. It's worth paying the fines. So go to my first practice in August, a bunch of little... I don't know what they were, 10 and 9, nine and 10-year-olds, 10 and 11-year-olds, and they're sitting there all in their nice ponytails, their nice uniforms, because at that age, really, that's all that matters, right? Just what they wear. And uh, I said, girls, I said, I know three things about soccer. I said, number one, this is a soccer ball. <laughs> now they're looking at me like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be a long season. I said, number two, this is a soccer goal. Now they're looking at my daughters going, this, this guy's your dad? I said, the third thing I know about soccer is this. The goal of the game is to get this ball in that goal. I said, girls, that's all I know. I said, I don't care how you do it. But I, I, I said, but I want you to get that ball in the goal. But, but, but Mr. Soderman, are we going to have positions? I said, no. I said, positions are way overrated. I, I said, we're, no sweepers, no mids, no forwards. We will have a goalie, but that is it. But what, but what about plays? We're going to have plays. I said, no, girls, plays are way overrated. All right, no trapping, no overlapping, none of that stuff. We're just going to get the ball in the girl. Well, well, how do we do that? I said, I don't care. Use your head, use your chest, use your foot. Just don't use your, your hands. I said, just get the ball in the goal. I said, any other questions, girls? Now just go out there and get the ball in the girl. So that's what we did. Every practice, every game, we got the girls together. And we said, girls, what's the goal of the game? To get the ball in the goal. Now that year, we set two records. Record number one. We had more goals scored against us than any team in the history of Brookfield <laughs> Soccer. 
I mean, if you like World Cup soccer, you know, two to one, one zero, three two, you would have hated our games. I mean, our games were track meets on a soccer field. 12 to 15, 15 to 18, 21 to 18. I mean, these were high scoring affairs, all right? It was up and down. The girls were getting it in. The second record, we scored more goals than any team in the history of Brookfield soccer. And in the spring of the year, we won the city championship. Now, why do I say that? Guys, I think there's an application here. I think so often in life, and as men, we spend a lot of time and energy kicking the ball all over the field, but we never get it in the goal. We're kicking it all over. We have all our ideas, all our plans, all our strategies. In the midst of the busyness and, and, and the, 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 the chaos of life, we're just, we're just kicking the ball all over the place. But we're never getting it in the goal. And, and, and what I want to do just in the, in the few minutes we have here, I want, I want to go back to, 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 the, to the very basic and say, what does it mean for you and me as a man to get the ball in the goal? What, what does that look like for us? And how do we do that as a man? There's a wonderful passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, Paul speaking, and in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil, our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Bless you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For we know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. And uh, we thank you for this great opportunity just to gather together as men. We thank you for your presence here among us. And Father, I pray now as we open your word that in a, in a, in a supernatural way that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. Father, I pray that no matter where we are in life right now, whatever we're bringing with us this morning, Father, you would meet us there, minister to us there, and take us to where you want us to be. Father, we pray that as we gather today that literally the ends of the earth would feel the repercussions of our time here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I just, I just want to sort of go back to the basics that this is a soccer ball and this is the goal. And I'm just going to give you just four phrases, four words that are going to be, that are just going to, I think, just be reminders. These, this is not rocket science. If you're looking for some great theological discourse today or philosophical discussion, you're, you're, you're in the wrong place. I'll just tell you right that, right now. 
Uh, that, that's just not who I am. I'm just going to take you back to the beginning, to the basics, and say these are just, as men, four things we need to build into our lives uh, if we, if we want to get the ball in the goal, if we want to have influence, if we want to lead, uh, lead properly. All right? Uh, number one is prayer. Is, is, is Paul, in, in, in chapter 1 of, of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3, he said this, we continually remember before our God and Father the work you produce by faith. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. All the way through the books of, of, of that Paul has written, you see this emphasis on prayer. Paul started his ministry in prayer. He ended his ministry in prayer. Prayer was not an appendage to Paul's life. Rather, it was just par a part of his life. See, Paul understood that God was ready, willing, and able to answer our prayers. He's more willing to answer than we are to ask. And, and, and so when Paul would go into a new city, whether that was Corinth or Philippi or Thessalonica or, or Ephesus or whatever city he would go into to begin that church planting movement, he did it on his knees. And gentlemen, it is no different for you and I. That every one of us in this room is facing major, major issues in our life. They might be financial issues. They might be parenting issues. They may be marital, marital issues. They may be vocational issues. It, it might be issues re, uh, with, with parents that you're facing. It may be issues just in your own, in your own faith and having a crisis of faith. We are, every one of us in this room has stuff going on, right? And, 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 and what I want to suggest this morning is the way you move into that and the way you get through that is through prayer, is through a complete and total dependence on God. Is understanding the way we move forward through life as men is on our knees. And I think one of the greatest dangers that we have in the church in America is that we have everything we need. And we think we can get through life on our own. And we've lost the sense of dependence. We've lost this sense of, of, of needing God. And that the only way there's going to be breakthrough, the only way that, that God is going to move is through, through the answers to, to our prayers. And I want to suggest to you individually, I want to suggest to you corporately, that we need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God and say, God, I am a sinner. I need you. I cannot get through this situation, this decision, this marriage without you. And I want to encourage you just to go back to the basics, guys. And just to find that time on a daily basis when you can be with God. Where you're praying for your children, you're praying for your marriage, you're praying for your coworkers, you're praying for, for those in your sphere of influence that do not know Jesus. And it's in those times of prayer where we take the hearts of man, the hearts of women, the hearts of our children, and we place them into the hands of a, of a holy God. We say, God, do what only you can do. Only you can, can bring down the walls around the heart of a man. Only you can bring healing. Only you can bring comfort. Only you can provide direction. Only you can, can work this out in your way. It's through prayer that God does his work. It's through prayer that God releases his power into our lives, into our family, into our work, and into our world. I have three younger brothers. 
my, 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 my closest brother, Phil, is just a year and a half younger than I. And when we got to high school, Phil and I went in two different directions. I went, I went into the sports world and, and, and found my, my identity, my success in, in, in that. Loved to compete, loved to play, and, 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 and did it well. Phil, as the, the, the second, looked at that and said, I'm not going to compete with that. I'm going to make my own mark. And so Phil went a different way. And Phil decided the way to make his mark was through partying. And he did it really, really well. Lots of medals, lots of honors. I mean, he just, he just, he just went down that route and said, this is going to be my world. He went off to Madison, and he, and he took graduate-level classes in partying there, all right? He joined a fraternity, and he, and, he, and, he, and he just partied hard. He also studied hard. And then he went to, to, to med school, and uh, then goes on for residency, becomes a plastic surgeon, and all of a sudden, Phil's got everything. He's got it all. He's got a beautiful home. He's got a beautiful car. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got two young kids. Phil has everything. Everything from the world's perspective that you would want, Phil has. And then about 20 years ago, we get a phone call Thanksgiving morning that our cousin, age 36, had had a heart attack in the middle of the night and died. Just out of nowhere. So we, we come together as a family at my parents' house. We hang out for a little bit. Mom and dad go over to my, my cousins to be with them. And then they come back later in the day, and it was just an awful Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to go, and I got everyone together in the living room. I said, well, before we leave, let's just pray for, for the family. And as we're holding hands and we're looking at each other as families, Phil says out loud, he said, I feel so bad for Paul, our cousin who died, because he had nothing. And Phil's wife, Karen, who had just come to Christ, looked at Phil and said, Phil, you are the one that has nothing. That's a gutsy statement in front of your whole family. It knocked the wind out of them. I closed in prayer and we just left in silence. Colleen, or Karen and Phil and their two kids go home while Tosa, Karen takes the kids upstairs, comes down, the living room's dark. Phil's sitting in the chair, he's got a little light over his shoulder, he's got the Bible open to John 3.16. He says, Karen, I don't have anything. I need Jesus. And that night, Phil gave his life to Jesus. Someone so far from God. Someone who had walked away from God. Someone that was just caught up in the world. And yet myself, my, my two other brothers, my parents, my friends had been praying for Phil every single day that God would break through, soften his heart, tear down the walls, and draw him to himself. And guys, my guess is there are people in your life right now who you say just are too far away. They're never gonna come to Christ. They are just, they are so self-dependent, just living the life they wanna live, and you've just given up on them. And I wanna tell you today, don't give up on them. Keep on praying. Keep on taking their hearts and give them to God and say, God, do what only you can do, and he will do the miracles. He will draw men to himself. Where do we start? We just start with prayer. We just start by just talking with our Father who loves to hear the cries of our heart. The second thing I want to tell you is this. It's all about character. It's all about 
character. Look at what Paul says in verse, in verse 10. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Gentlemen, we are experiencing a crisis of character in our country today. My guess is most of you are aware of what's, what's happened at Elmbrook just in the last two weeks, the last six months. Our number, our executive pastor, our senior pastor, both experiencing moral failure and having to step out of ministry. It's a crisis of character. And I will tell you right now, the, the watching world really doesn't care what we say or what we sing or what we talk about on talk radio. What the watching world is saying is show me your life. Because the life that you live, gentlemen, will speak louder than the words that you say. And what, what, what you see throughout scripture in this passage and all the way through is that, that God's desire is being made in the image of God with the Holy Spirit living within us is for you and I to be transformed from the inside out, to be an accurate reflection of Jesus to the world. And I think that the, 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 what we're running into today is that we have men and women with strong competencies. They have charisma. And from the outside, they look really, really good, but there's something wrong with the heart. And, 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 and the call that God has on you and me as a man is to continually be developing our character, who we are. And the world wants to see Jesus in us. They don't want to see us. But... 15, 20 years ago now, I was asked to, by the commanders in the Pacific Fleet to go out to, 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 to California, to Miramar, and, to, and to, to meet and talk about how do you minister to young men. And we had wonderful discussions on that. And then they said, you know what, would you go over to Top Gun headquarters and would you, would you do chapel for all the young Marines? I said, sure, I'd love to do it. So I gave my chapel talk, about four or 500 new recruits were in the, in the chapel that morning. And I did my talk, and then after I said, if any of you wanna pray, just feel free, just come on up and I'll pray. And there was a long line, 10, 15 young Marines. And they'd come up and they would share and I'd pray for them. And, and, and the whole time I'm praying and talking, there's this one young man over on my right and he's, he's agitated. He can't stand still. He's just moving all over the place. And I'm, I'm just sort of, this is in the corner of my eye. And, uh, and so we just keep on talking. We get through the line and finally he steps in and, and, and I say, young man, what can I do for you? He says, you need to get me out of here. I said, I, I don't think I can do that. He said, no, really. He says, you, you have to take me home with you. I said, I don't think that's legal, all right? <laughs> and, and, and so Sergeant White was, was sort of taking me around those days that I was there, and I, I called Sergeant White over, and I said, Sergeant, this young man is really struggling with be here, being here, and he wants to leave, and can you just talk to him? So Sergeant White entered the discussion, and, and he listened for a minute. He said, young man, you need to understand something. He said, he said when, when, when you came here, you, the goal... Of, of your drill instructor is to, is to break you down and then to, to, to build you up. He says, it's like you're in a cauldron. And he says, we're gonna, you're, you're in it and we're gonna heat you up. And he says, when the impurities come to the top, he said, we're just gonna, we're just gonna skim them off. He says, then we're gonna heat you up again. 
And then when the impurities come to the top, we're going we're gonna to skim, skim them off. And we're just going to continually do that. And we're going to break you down to nothing, and then we're going to build you up to something. He says, the goal of a drill instructor is this young man. He says, when he looks down, he says he no longer wants to, to see you. He wants to see the reflection of himself, a U.S. Marine. As I listened to that conversation, I thought that's exactly what God does in every one of our lives. He's, he, he breaks us down. He heats us up. And he's refining us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's making us into the men that he wants us to be. Men of character. So when we walk into the world, people don't see us. They see Jesus. And then the third thing that he says in this passage is that we, we order our lives according to the scriptures. He says in verse, in verse 13, and we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Gentlemen, my guess is many of you are under the word but are you in the word? You're, you, you can listen to, listen to Francis Chan. You can listen to Tim Keller. You can listen to a Stuart Briscoe. You can listen to a Matt Chandler. You, there, there are incredible, incredible preachers all over this country and all over the world that you can listen to, that you have access to, whether through a podcast or right now media or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you in the word? Is it your substance? Is it your daily nourishment? Are you, being, are you being fed by it? Are you allowing it to work in your life like Paul talks about here? And gentlemen, the, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize it's easy to get away from Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I, the more I've come to realize it's possible just to do church and do the things that I need to do just to, to be a good guy. But I'm realizing God's not interested in good guys. He wants godly men. And the, the, the greatest gift that you and I will give our families, will give our, our church, will give our friends is our holy life. And that happens through the word of God, being in it, in allowing the word of God to speak to us and to convict us and to challenge us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to guide us and to grow us so that our worldview is not based on what the world says, but rather we look at the world and our relationships and our decisions and our work through the perspective of Scripture. We put on the lens of Scripture, and we see all that's taking place around us through the Word. And the Word is active, and it's working, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change who you are. So it's not that you're just under the Word, but you're in the world. Guys, if we want to make a difference, if we want to get the ball in the goal, then we're, we're, we're in the, wor the Word and allowing the Word to do its work in our lives. A number of years ago, I was doing a chapel service for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If there was ever a team that needed a chapel service, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, this was the days when they were just bottom dwellers, right? I mean, they were just feeding on the bottom. They were so, so bad. So we're down at the Hyatt. The room is full of these very, very large men. And when I got down there and walked around a little bit, and uh, I went into the meetings, had breakfast with them. And the last thing they did before going over to County Stadium was they had chapel. 
And uh, after chapel, a couple of players came up and we talked. And at the very end, Coach Weish came up and we talked. He told me about the ministry that he was involved in down in, in Tampa Bay. And uh, I said, Coach, I have one question for you. I said, I noticed this morning that wherever I went around the Hyatt, in the team meetings, breakfast, into the bathroom, into chapel, wherever I go, men are all carrying this three-ring binder. Can you tell me about that? He said, well, yeah, it's real simple. He said, that's their playbook. He said, everything they need to know about NFL football, what's going to happen between 12 and 3 today, is in that book. He said, they get the, they get the book on Wednesday. He said, they study it. They learn it. We practice it. They're tested on it. And then they put it into practice between 12 and 3. I said, Coach, just hypothetically, what would happen if one of these guys would lose that book? He said, Pastor, they'd be fined more money than you make in a year. I said, well, that's not a whole lot, but I said, that's still, that's still something. And as I thought about it, I thought, guys, this is our book right here. This is our book. This is our playbook. Everything we need for life, not just between 12 and 3, but 24-7 is in this book. Are you studying it? Are you learning it? Are you, are you, are you allowing it just to, to become a part of who you are? Don't be under it. Be in it. And then the final thing he says here that I just want to mention is invest your lives in the lives of others. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, we loved you so much. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. The Apostle Paul says this. Listen, I didn't just come into town on my big white horse and just drop these gospel bombs all over the place. He says, no, that's not what I did. He said, what I did, he, he said, as a tent maker, I set up my tent right near in the marketplace. He says, and we had meals together, and we took walks together, we had dinner together, we hung out together, and, and I invested my life in you. And that's what ministry is all about. Ministry is about one-on-one -on -one relationship. Ministry is about getting up close to another person, whether that's to a, if you're ministering in a prison or you're ministering to high school students or you're ministering to college or young adults or you're doing a couple study or you're doing a senior study, you're doing a men's group, whatever it is, is that the, the, the story of, of, of the Bible is, is, is rather simple. It's, it's not worrying about the numbers because Jesus never did worry about numbers. But rather, it's investing your life in a small group of men and women who the multitudes will follow. Don't worry about the numbers, but realize that the closer you get to a person, the greater the influence that you will have in their life. It's, 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 it's Moses, all right? investing in Joshua. It's Ezra investing in Nehemiah. It's Elijah investing in Elijah. It's Barnabas investing in Paul. Paul investing in Timothy. Jesus investing in 12. Don't worry about numbers, guys. Jesus never did. When Jesus was with the multitudes, he'd throw them a fish, he'd walk across water, you know, he'd do some fun stuff, but that was not his concern. Two-thirds of the, his time on this earth was spent with 12 men in investing in them. And you and I are here today because his method works. My guess is if we took testimony time right now, we're not going to, don't worry. But if every one of you stood up and said, how did you get to this place? There's a person. 
There's two people. There's three people that's just invested in you, took time to talk to you, pray for you, listen to you, and walk with you. I guarantee it. I know it would happen because that's the way it works. And here's what I want to say is that Christianity always has the threat of extinction. And that for, to, to continue the church, to continue the work, it means that every single one of us understands that we have a role to play. We have, we're, we're, we're a starter. That in God's economy, there is no such thing as second strength. And that the means by which we will make a difference is finding that place that he wants us to invest our lives into the life of another. It was the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said this, the righteous man lives for the next generation. We're not living for now, guys. We're living for the next generation. And you, those of us that are a little bit older, some of us gray hairs, guys, it is time now to reach back, to find that group of college students, find that group of young adults, find that, those, young, those young couples and begin to invest in them and begin to pass on the faith, begin to, to pass on the torch and say that, that the greatest thing I can do is leave a legacy of, of, of leaders and men and women who are following hard after Jesus. It starts at home and it flows from there. Let me just, I got, okay, I got to close. Let me just tell you one story, one more story to illustrate what this can look like, guys. I want to tell you about Dick. Dick is a, was a grumpy old man. Worked down in, in, uh, in Racine. He had a number of pharmacies down there. His wife didn't like him. His two girls didn't like him. None of his employees liked him. Oldest daughter goes off to Madison. And she gets involved in one of the campus ministries there and she comes to Christ as a freshman. She comes home at Christmas. She's so excited, three months old in her faith. And, 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 and Dick says, honey, what do you want for Christmas? She goes, I just want one thing, Dad. Would you come to church with me? He said, that's it? I just got to spend one hour in church and that's all I got? He says, that's the cheapest Christmas ever. I'll go. <laughs> so she, she, she brings him up to Elmbrook, comes to church, sits through an hour of Christmas Eve service. He comes back the second week and then the third week. And then he gives me a call. He says, Pastor, I, I understand you're a pastor. He said, he said I, this, this whole Christianity thing and what this whole church thing is about, I, I just don't get it. He says, I have a ton of questions. Can you, can you just get together and can we talk? I said, sure. So he comes up to my office one day in January and, and we get together. I said, Dick, what, what's, what, what do you have? He says, tell me about Christianity. I said, really? I said, this is great, you know? And so, I mean, he's just putting it right there on the table. So I, I, I got a piece of paper out and I did my very best just to explain the gospel. I did the old bridge diagram, right? Okay, this is man over here, separated from God, sinful from birth. And this is God over here, a loving God, a forgiving God, but he absolutely hates sin. But because of that separation, God 2,000 years ago did something. He, he sent his son, Jesus, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he took our place on that cross. He took your place, Dick, and he took my place. And through him, we can now have a relationship with God. And I said, all you have to do is put your faith and your trust and your belief in him. He said, that's it? I said, Dick, that's it. He says, well, well how much do I have to pay? I said, Dick, you don't have to pay anything. <laughs> I said, he said, well, where do, where, what do I need? To, is there a paper I have to sign? I said, no, you don't have to sign anything. I said, well, it's, he said, it's, it's so cheap. It's so easy. I said, yeah, Dick. I said, the entrance fee costs you absolutely nothing. I said, the maintenance fee is going to cost you everything. <laughs> he said, let's get this deal done. So we, right there, we prayed. Dick gives his life to Jesus. He said, now what do I do? 
I said, Dick, here's what you got to do. I said, we got this little course. It's a discipleship course for men. It's called Top Gun. And I said, it's, 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 it's nine months. I said, you're going to have two hours of homework every week. You're going to meet with guys for two hours every week. And, and, and you have to do this for nine months. And he just looks at me and goes, are you serious? He goes, does every man in the church do this? I said, oh, yeah, Dick. I said, every guy does this. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know any better, right? So he gets involved in a Top Gun group for the next nine months. And he gets done. He calls me up. He says, well, now what do I do? I said, Dick. I said, well, now we have the second year. It's called discipleship training. And I said, it's two hours of homework, two hours in class. He goes, does every guy really do the second year? I said, Dick, everyone does it. <laughs> he does the second year. He gets done with the second year of intense discipleship. And he says, calls it, Steve, now what do I do? I said, Dick, now you lead a group. He says, I know, Steve, everyone does this, right? <laughs> I said, he said, well, I, he said, where do I start? I said, you can find 12 guys. Just find 12 guys, invite them, and say, we're going to meet Tuesday morning and do it. He does the first year. He does the second year. He says, okay, now I'm done, right? I said, no, Dick, now you're just getting started. I said, I think you're on a roll. I think you should do this whole thing again. So he finds another 12 guys. Now we're six years into this deal. He's madly in love with his wife and she with him. He's reconnected with his wife. I mean, his kids. And he comes to me, he says, Steve, I got an idea. He says, I've done really well in life. He says, how about I just sell all my companies and I just do this all the time? I said, Dick, that's a great idea. <laughs> so he's leading three groups a week. He's just investing in men. And then and about four years later, he calls me again. He said, Steve, I just got back from the, from the surgeon. He says, I have an inoperable brain tumor. Now what do I do? I said, Dick, you just keep doing what you're doing. You love your wife. You love your girls. You live for Jesus. And you invest your life in others. And I'd drive out to Oconomowoc, and we would take walks around his neighborhood and just talk and pray. Then I'd push him in his wheelchair. Then I would sit by his bed. He would just sit and talk and pray. And then literally just a few weeks before his death, I said, Dick, I have, a, I have a big ask. I said, Dick, you know that every spring of the year we do this thing called the Breakfast of Champions out at the Country Springs Hotel in I-94 where, where guys just bring all their friends and it's an evangelistic breakfast. And I said, Dick, you know every year we honor one man. We just thank him for their service and I would love to honor you in a couple of weeks at the Breakfast of Champions. Would you please come? So his family rented a van. They, they dressed him up and, and put blankets around him and they brought him into the Country Springs Hotel. We got to the, the part in the, the, the breakfast and I, I brought him up onto the stage just like this here. We pushed him up and he sat there and, and I gave him a little award and a little deal and I gave it to him and I thanked him. I said, Dick, you know, I said, every man's going to die, Dick. And when we do, we're going to live on in eternity with Jesus. And we're going to live on in the people we influence for Jesus. And I just want to thank you for your influence. I want to thank you for what you've done over these last number of years. And then I sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I, I said, I just thought in my mind, I'm just going to take a chance. Just going to put it out there. I said, gentlemen, if, if any of you either came to Christ through Dick or you were discipled by Dick, I just want you to stand right now. 550 men there. And, 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 and I just put my head down because I thought this could be the most embarrassing moment of my life. I put my head down and all, all you hear are just 
just the, the rustle of chairs just moving everywhere. And I look up and there's just men everywhere. And our leader said there were probably about 130 to 150 men stood. And, and, I, and I looked up and Dick looked up and we're just bawling like babies. I said, Dick, I want you to take this in. Because in just a few days, you are going to die. And you are going to be ushered into the arms of Jesus and you're going to be there for eternity but I want you to know the legacy that you have left and that you're not only going to live on eternity with Jesus, you're going to live on in the men and women that you've influenced for Jesus. And gentlemen, it is no different for every one of us in this room. We're all going to die at some point. And when we do, we're going to live on in two ways. We're going to live on in eternity for Jesus, in, with Jesus and we're going to live on in those we influence for Jesus. So here's my question. Who are you influencing for Jesus? Who are you investing in? Who are you getting close to? Maybe it's the high school ministry. Maybe it's the children's ministry. Maybe it's a prison ministry. Maybe it's the men's ministry. Maybe it's in the couple's ministry. Maybe it's in the senior's ministry. I don't know where it is. But where are those men, those young men, those teenagers that you can begin to spend time with and influence for Jesus? This is a soccer ball. And the goal is to get this ball in that goal. Guys, for us, it's walking with Jesus, reflecting Jesus to the world, and taking what we've learned from Jesus and passing on to the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful Saturday that you've given us. Father, we thank you that we could just stop we could start our day together with one another. And Father, I pray that you would take each one of us back to the basics of what it means just to walk with you, to reflect you, and to live for you. And Father, my guess is there are some men here this morning that feel they're, that they're, they're in that fire. They're being refined. Father, I pray that you would remind them that you love them, you're with them, and you want the best for them. Would you give them the grace and the mercy they need to get through this day and tomorrow and the next? And Father, I pray for those men that are just sort of on the fringe and they're sort of watching. They're going through the motions. Father, Father I pray that you would stir their heart. Father, that they would, they, would, they would get energized by who you are and that through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would set a fire in their hearts to follow hard after you, and to live for you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for every single man that's here, for what you're doing and what you want to do. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would not allow us to stay where we are, but to take us to where you want us to be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks, guys, for letting me be here today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. And Steve, we wish the same for you. You have been a great encouragement this morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it has been years and years and years of this kind of ministry that Steve has touched a lot of lives. But we've all been given a platform. God has equipped us to do what he's called us to do, no matter where we are, no matter how young or how old. The question is, how are you going to use that platform 
and how are you going to influence someone else? That's the challenge today. And I think what Steve has unpacked for us is a perfect lead-in to the 33 series. Not because we want to just fill up the room, but we, because we want each one of you to be equipped to use that platform you've been given. So Steve, thank you very much again. Men, thank you for being here today. We're so pleased. And I wish you a happy Saturday. Thanks. See you at worship.